The Old Testament reading for this morning is from the 19th chapter of Exodus, beginning verse 16 and continuing through verse 23. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of that mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to gaze at the Lord, and many of them perish. Also, let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. But Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, Set bounds around the mountain and consecrate it. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Our New Testament reading this morning is from the Gospel according to Luke in the 24th chapter, beginning at verse 44 and continuing through verse 53. Again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Then he, Jesus, said to them, his disciples, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and arise from the dead on the third day and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. See, I am sending upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him. And returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple blessing God. Here ends this reading of God's holy word. The account here in the gospel according to Luke contains in it a number of fascinating elements. This is the story of the way in which Jesus bid adieu to his friends who had been with him since the start of his public ministry. They had seen the way he lived. They had seen the way he died. They had seen the way that he continued to testify following his resurrection. And now they are seeing the end of this chapter. 
And as that parting is about to take place, Jesus, we are told, opens the minds of his disciples. And with that, he endowed in them a new understanding of the Old Testament. No longer would they read them as the Hebrew scriptures, but rather as a prelude to the events of Jesus. The events which, though not yet written, were being formulated into the New Testament at that very time. As part of his revelation to them, instructions were reiterated that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in the name of the Messiah who is Jesus. This proclamation is to begin there in Jerusalem, but it is to ripple outward to all the people of all the nations. Having heard at the conference I recently attended in D.C. that 43% of millennials in this country are younger folks, either don't know or don't care if God exists, I would say we still have plenty of work to do bringing the good news to all people in all nations, including our very own. As Jesus was in the process of departing from his beloved followers, the gospel text goes out of its way to include what might seem to be rather an insignificant detail. We're told that Jesus blesses his friends. And this happens to be another one of the things that we had a bit of discussion about at the conference, the power of a blessing. It is something we probably don't give all that much thought to, but it is quite profound. And it is after and with this blessing that the disciples begin their, their post-rabbi lives. Jesus has risen from the dead, and now Jesus has risen, ascended to heaven. Next week, as I mentioned in our announcements, we'll celebrate Pentecost the outpouring of the Spirit of Christ upon his friends. But before that miraculous event took place, he pronounced his blessing upon them, preparing them for what was to come. In the very beginning of my seminary career, we met in an upper room. When I enrolled, the doors had been open for less than six months. There were two full-time faculty positions, and at most there were a couple dozen of us students. We leased space from what was Queens College at the time. Our multi-purpose space was personalized with a single banner on a stand by the door. It had the seminary logo emblazoned on it, and these words, equipping those whom God has called. I remember thinking that they were going to have to do a whole lot of equipping with this one in particular. Well, Jesus had called a bunch of amateurs to his side in and around Galilee. With one notable exception, they had continued to follow him, often falteringly, but they had continued. They were with him here as he led them out to Bethany, and there he focused their eyes on the vision of the mission 
even as their eyes were losing focus on him. He was calling them to yet more work, work that he had been equipping them to do and for which his spirit would complete their training very soon. What was to come was more of what they had been up to the past three years in his service and in his company only. It would henceforth be without his bodily company. He tells them that they are to witness to what they have seen and heard and known to be true. In other words, they were to remember him to the world. Fitting then, isn't it, that we should, as a nation this weekend, be invited and encouraged to be about this very sacred act of remembrance. Sure, that which we are called to memorialize is different between church and state, but the act of remembering is no different and no less important. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it, as many have famously noted. That's just the sort of mistake that Jesus was trying to prevent from happening. He had humbled himself and taken upon flesh, drawing near to his people and walking with them for a lifetime. And now that he must return to the Father, he is trying to make sure that the teaching and the preaching, the work and the hope, the truth of his claim to be the Messiah and all that goes along with such a claim is not relegated to the dustbin of history. To be sure, that's just where many wanted it. The Pharisees wanted it that way. The Romans wanted it that way. The Herodians wanted it forgotten. But those who went with him to Bethany, those who would return and spend their days praising God in the temple, they would not forget. In our day, many have forgotten the North Korean strongman threatening the region with a nuclear missile program seems to have forgotten. The Chinese communists who enslave ethnic minorities seem to have forgotten. The Marxists turn oligarchs running the former Soviet Union, they seem to have forgotten. The teenage supermarket shooter and the teenage elementary school shooter seem to have forgotten. Our forgetters are working overtime. It is our job, church. It is our job to remember. I've received a, a number of communications recently trying to be helpful, suggesting to me what I should be preaching about. But every one of the special interests that are whispering in my ear, well, actually lighting up my screen, every one of them misses the mark a bit because they are all directed toward a symptom of our theological amnesia. I believe that the very most important work we can do for the kingdom is to remember, to live into this responsibility which Jesus left his friends with. Repentance and forgiveness of sins to be proclaimed to all nations beginning 
from Jerusalem. So very many have never heard this invitation still. So many more have heard it and rejected it without a second thought. Others knew it and lived it until they didn't, until they forgot. At the very top of our to-do list as Christians, then, is to remind and to reawaken the world to the person, the message, and the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. As Steve Adkins has reminded us, there's reason to believe that there may be well over a million folks right here on Delmarva who need this reminded. Out in the cemetery, the graves of those who've served their country are marked with an American flag. As we show respect and gratitude as a nation, we remember the sacrifice of those who gave their all to preserve our freedom. As a church, let us not forget the sacrifice that has secured and protected our freedom. The way to honor this memory is not through decorating a grave, for as those who came to it on that first Easter morning discovered, Jesus is not in that grave. Rather, he dwells among the living, not amongst the dead. Even as we read in this morning's gospel text of Jesus' ascension to the Father, he continues here to dwell in the midst of the living. In his glorified body, he is headed to sit in glory at the right hand of the living God to continue there his work of reconciliation and salvation for us. That's what the church remembers and celebrates on this day of ascension. What the church is called to do in response is plainly taught here by Jesus. Habitual remembrance informs a ministry of proclamation which in turn causes people to remember. We proclaim what we know to be true and we know what is true as we remember the words and the acts of the one who is the truth. To proclaim Christ is to remember and to honor him. And this is just what we are called to do. To proclaim Christ is also to love our neighbor. Though many may not see it that way, we were talking about this very thing this morning in our Sunday school class. What if our friend asks us to help him with something we know is wrong? Is it loving to help him in what is wrong, or is it loving to say, that's wrong? If you happen to be out boating, see someone overboard in the water, struggling, wouldn't you throw him a lifeline? On land, it may be harder for people to realize that they are drowning, but the peril is no less real, and they need a lifeline just as much. Read the headlines if you have any doubt about the need. So, church, may we, this day, recommit ourselves to remembering and to being obedient to God's word, a word that invites the world to repent and be forgiven by the only one with the power to free us from our sins and their wages.
We have been given this gift and we are charged with remembering and with sharing it with the world. And for that, we may truly say thanks be to God and...